You're listening to the Salt Churches Podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. How you guys doing? Good, I'm excited to speak tonight. I really am excited to speak tonight. I like PSL. So how long ago were you guys on the race? Get off like six weeks ago? So you guys all settled in, everything's perfect. You have your life vision out in front of you. It's written down, 10-year plan. If you're not married, you're married. If you're a woman, you're pregnant. Your family's going already. It's all happening. <laughs> Parker, that is sexist. Maybe I'm not going to be a housewife. So, man, God is good, isn't he? <laughs> God is really good. I'm offensive. I just want to get you guys ready for that. Offensive like in like a likable way. So, I'm going to work really hard for you guys to like. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to try at all. Most of you I will never see again, to be honest. But tonight, I want to leave you with something um, that I hope will radically transform your life. I want to leave you tonight with something that will help you along the way when it seems like there maybe is nothing else. By the way, my wife brought me coffee. And literally, as I was being announced to stage, like she walks in. Here's your Americano. And I drink Americanos because I'm American. No, it's mostly because they don't have nitro cold brew. Can I make a, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. Like who here really, really loves coffee? Like you're serious about it. Like if the beans got to be roasted just right, like when you like landed in a country and you had the opportunity for good coffee, like you disappeared, you didn't care what anyone said. Yeah, you're those people. So I'm going to disappoint you right now because, first of all, when I drink coffee in the morning, I like to, like, chew on it. Like, when I get to the bottom of it, like, the gristle on the bottom, like, I will drink that. People are like, oh, I leave that little swill at the bottom. Like, no, that's mine. That's my business right there at the bottom of the glass. Second, I like Starbucks Nitro Cold Brew better than everyone else's. And reason being because they put effort into it, right? The little cup that they give you, first of all, they pour it right when you get there, and you kind of feel like you're being naughty because it looks like they're pouring beer in the morning for you. You're like, oh, beer breakfast, awesome. And they give it to you, and it's got like that nice like little lip. It's just like when it hits your mouth, right? Like it's just perfect when it hits your mouth. It's like that little lip on the top of the cup. It's one of my favorite things in the entire world. So that's that. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, just so you guys get to know me before we, we jump in here. I, I'm 30, I'm 31. Yeah, 31 years old. I turned 32 this year. Um, so pretty old. I'm starting, this is how you know you're getting old. Like, we're listening to, we're listening to the, we're listening to the radio, right? And... My wife and I are driving out on date night because that's what happens when you have two kids. Like when you're dating at first and you're married and you're like first married, you're like, we don't need that date night. We're in love. Every night's date night. And then then you're like, we don't have a relationship for the past six weeks. I haven't spoken to an adult in a long time. It'd be nice for us to go out. 
So we go out on a date night, and we're listening to the radio, and listening to, well, not the radio, Spotify, because I don't know anybody that listens to the radio. So we're listening to Spotify on the way, and it's like, today's top, like, 100. And I look over at her as I'm driving, and I go, you know what, Jess? They don't make music like they used to. <laughs> and she's like, you are old. <laughs> and that's how you know. You remember sitting in the back of your parents' car and you're like, this music is the worst. And I used to like listen to hip hop all the time. And my parents would be like, shut that trash off. That's garbage. What are you listening to? And now when I turn on hip hop, I'm like, what is this garbage? This is the worst. This is grading. So now I know like I passed that like 30 threshold and my life has changed. I'm old now. And I want to tell you guys a little story about me getting into Georgia a couple days ago. So uh, God gave me a word for the year. And, you know, does everyone pray over their year or, like, name their year? Come on, guys. You, like, just got off the race. You weren't doing anything. Like, were you praying, writing your journal? <laughs> like, you're, like, in that in-between time. Well, I'm going to go to Searchlight, and then I'm going to decide what I'm going to do with my life. You should decide sooner next time. Um, I'll be of no help to you. So we get off the plane, and, well, but God gave me this word first for the year, right? So I'm praying, it's, you know, it's the 31st of December, I'm like, God, I just really need to name my year, like what, like what have you given me for this year? What's like, and I'm expecting like breakthrough, or like prosperity, or like harvest, like those cool Christian words are like, yeah, writing that down, I'm going to post it on Instagram. You'll notice there is no post on my Instagram, because the word God gave me for the year was, get low. So my word for the year is humility, the worst possible word you can get. Because here's, here's the problem with humility. It mostly comes by experience, right? It mostly comes by banging your head into stuff. That's how you learn to get low, right? Like you walk through a doorway too many times and bang your head, and you're like, oh, next time I'll drop my head a little bit lower. And that's the problem with a word over the year for humility. So we get off the plane, and Southwest was awesome. Like, people were carrying our kids around the aisles and stuff. If you look at my Instagram story, like, one of them was carrying David up and down the aisles. It was, like, a great flight. Our kids were amazing for five hours straight, which is, like, I don't know if you guys believe in miracles, but that's a miracle. Oh, and by the way, my son Ethan, if you were in Jesse's breakout today, I just want to give God some credit because you guys prayed for him. And he woke up and played and was chatty with us and, like, stoked for the first time in a couple of days. So it was really, really good. Yeah, if you weren't in the breakout, like, he's not dying or anything. Like, he just has, like, a chest cold. So it's not like, woo-hoo, he's healed of cancer. Like, yeah, but it was, it was really sad just watching him struggle through the night. He was up, like, every 30 minutes um, last night. So uh, my wife and I are operating off the Holy Spirit, I think, in an Americano which I always have a drink up here, right? If you guys get to like speaking, like people always put like water or drinks up here. I never touch it. I don't know why. Mostly because I feel like no one else is drinking while I'm drinking. And it's like watching all these people watch you take a sip. Like, oh, I want some of that coffee. All right, I'm going to get back to getting off the plane. So we get off the plane and we, we walk down. And what I rented online, and some of you maybe have this experience, didn't exactly measure up to what I received when I arrived in Atlanta. So <laughs> I get off the plane, and what I rented was a 
Jeep, Grand Cherokee, or something like it, because we have like so many bags and strollers and stuff everywhere. So that's like the smallest car we could get. And I walk to the front desk, and she goes, sir, all we have right now is um, a Mitsubishi Lancer available. And I look at her, and I go, what the crap is a Mitsubishi Lancer? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so we, we didn't get exactly what we expected. So we walk all the way out and we walk out into the the rental area and I'm opening the car. And as we're walking out to the car, my wife is talking the whole way out because she didn't hear the conversation that was actually taking place at the counter. She's like, well, that's not a Jeep Cherokee. We better get our money back. Have you talked to the front desk person? And I'm like, no, I haven't talked to the front desk person. I'm so stressed out right now. Do you know how cold it is? We just came from 70 degree weather. It's like the only place in America that's still warm is where we're from in Southern California. And, and so we step off and the seatbelt doesn't strap around my smallest child's safety seat. So it doesn't actually work. So I'm out in the freezing cold trying to strap two screaming children into this. And then I run back to the ticket counter. I'm like, look, man, can you like upgrade us or something? Because like the seatbelt's not working. Like nothing's working out. Like this is the worst thing ever. He's like, yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Dude takes forever. I have two crying kids in the car parked right in front of the little stand. Dude takes forever. And he eventually leaves, comes back with a beautiful white minivan. Now, you might think, Parker, that's a very practical vehicle. Why would you be disappointed with a Dodge Caravan? And if you remember my word for the year... I was like, in my head, I'd never pictured myself as somebody that would ever drive a minivan anywhere at any time. And God's like, here's your upgrade, bro. <laughs> and, and the problem wasn't so much that there was incompetence trickling down all the way to the bottom of a nameless rental car company. The real problem was, the real problem was that it offended me <laughs> that someone would give me a minivan. <laughs> and I'm like, God, maybe, just maybe, I have an ego problem. If driving a minivan in a state where I don't really know anybody is offensive to me. So I just want to encourage you guys that we're all working on it. You know, and sometimes your trouble is like real trouble. Sometimes it's a white minivan. So just remember that the next time you rent a car. Has anyone else noticed that the air is so humid here, right? But, but it robs all the moisture from your lips. People are like, oh, 50% humidity. But like, why is there no moisture in this region? Why does it look like I'm wearing lipstick every single day? So... Um, yeah, that's my story of getting to Atlanta. So today we're going to talk um, about something that I feel like gets missed a lot. I feel like it's missed a lot in our Christianity. I feel like it's missed a lot in preaching and gets missed a lot just in general. And what I hope tonight brings to you is a revelation that what Jesus asks you to do is actually possible. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that what Jesus asks you to do is possible? That's about the response I expected, like some half-raised hands, like, is this a trick? Pastors are always tricky. 
But when I'm alone listening in my car on a podcast, I don't feel as tricked. And now people are watching. <laughs> like, the, oh, there's a little confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Like, just like right here, just like half confidence. <laughs> like, I knew he died on the cross. I've seen that. I've seen the necklaces and stuff. But the resurrection. So, it's funny to me that there is so much emphasis. And funny in like a sad way. It's funny to me that there's so much emphasis on the doctrine of your sins being wiped away only. Has anyone grown up in a church like that? Or like grew up like raising your hand like every Sunday, like just got to make sure, got to get a new scrub. Has anyone thought that the idea of, okay, you're saved, great. So you got a ticket to heaven, great. Jesus' blood washes you. Absolutely, I agree with that. But for what? What a lame gospel if you're just saved to take care of yourself. Do you think that's good news? Kinda. Yeah, for you, it's great news. Right? Don't lie. You believe that. Like, even if you don't share the gospel the rest of your life, Jesus is like, look, you kind of didn't listen to anything I said, but luckily I died for you. But is that the life you really want to live? Did you go on an 11-month missions trip because Jesus saved you from sin only? Or maybe, just maybe, I want to propose to you tonight that there's a possibility that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is even more important. Baptists in the room are getting upset right now. (laughs) She knows. She knows she had one on her trip. Says women can't preach in church. (laughs) She knows. The resurrection is more important. Okay, let me prove it to you. If Jesus died and that was it, how's that relationship going with a dead guy, you weirdo? What's that like? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what power does he have to save you? Some of you are relating to a dead Jesus, and that's why the words of the Bible for you are so stale, and it's hard for you to wake up in the morning and read. Not to be mean. I'm I'm really not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm trying to wake you up to the fact that Jesus is alive. Now, how do you break out of that is the question. Yes, my sins are wiped away. Thank you, Jesus. And nothing but the blood. And you can ask my wife. I'm like not much of a crier. Maybe I should be more of a crier. I'm working on it, right? But the reality is, every time I sing that song, nothing but the blood, I cry. Like a little baby. But the blood is the entryway. Do you guys remember what happened at Passover? Well, you don't remember. You're not 4,000 years old. Do you remember reading... That would be wild if someone is in this room. Let's chat. Like, I am either you're really weird or it's true, and that's, like, way awesome. So here's the thing. Do you guys remember what happened at Passover? Right, the last night. Like, all these plagues happen, and it's basically God challenging every god of the Egyptians and destroying them, right? If you read the story and line it up with where historically Egypt was at the time, God is directly challenging every single one of their gods. And finally, he challenges Pharaoh directly 
by wiping out the firstborn sons of everyone in the land, including their cattle, right? Like ruthless. Like also your puppy, right? Like all, everything. Like he wipes out the firstborn of everything. People are like, oh, firstborn son, that's sad. Puppies, oh, that's awful. It is an animal. <laughs> I'm like, y'all need to have kids or something. <laughs> I would eat my dog if it came down to it. So the reality is, the reality is that at the very end, he challenges Pharaoh as the sun god, the bringer of life, right? By killing off his firstborn son. And what happens, right? They all put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, right? So that the angel of death doesn't come in their house and kill them. And they have to eat the whole lamb inside, right? So they have to consume the whole thing. There's two things happening here that I want to make really clear, and it's going to go directly to Jesus here. First, death can't enter. Death can't enter. Jesus is alive, therefore death can't enter. Number two, they had to eat the whole lamb. Wouldn't it make sense if you were terrified and it was the middle of the night and the angel of death is coming, how many of you have an appetite when you hear the screams and wailing of your neighbors and their kids dying? Like, oh, let's have a feast. Right, you're not going to be super hungry because you're going to be agitated. You're thinking, we're leaving the next day with all this stuff. And like, this is terrifying. And we just stole from our neighbors. That's what God told them to do. Go to your neighbors, knock on the door and say, hey, give me everything you have. I'm leaving. And they were so terrified up to that point that they gave them everything they had in their houses. So the Jews walk out of Egypt wealthy. You see what's happening here? Jesus doesn't die so that you can sit inside and starve and look at a piece of meat. He raises from the grave and you leave your sin and shame and brokenness behind you wealthy with an inheritance because he's alive. Come on, and that's foreshadowed 4,000 years before, or 2,000 years before Jesus. He didn't die so you could just be safe and then stay in your slave house. Some of you are still hanging out there. Could be victimhood. Could be what we talked about last night. Could be brokenness in your past. Could be sin that you're hanging on to still. Could be a number of things. Some of you are still there. By the way, this is not what I had written down at all tonight. So somebody in this room, I don't care if it's one person, needs to know that Jesus is alive and he's the one walking you out of slavery. Yeah, you went on a missions trip. Yeah, Jesus died for your sins. But now what? Now what? I've been saved from my sin. Great, God. Thank you so much. How do I do what you're asking me to do? It seems too big. It seems too far away. It seems too hard to just follow the basics that you're asking me to follow. It seems way too difficult. That is why the resurrection is important. Because Jesus doesn't say, I came to forgive your sins. He says, I came to give you life and life to the full. Did you hear that? Of course he forgives your sins so that he can give you life to the full. Of course he forgives your sins because that's where the relationship starts. Reconciliation is where it starts. It's the doorway into the kingdom of heaven that is absolutely limitless and available to you on a daily basis. Okay, some of you aren't buying this. That's okay. We're going to get there. 
What does Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like? Mustard seed. Mustard seed, good. Let's start with that one. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, that when it's buried in the ground, it grows up and becomes the largest of all garden plants, and the trees all come and rest in its branches. You guys get what that means? (laughs) Neither did I. (laughs) Like two days ago, I was reading it. I'm like, wait a second. I've heard this a thousand times. Well, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Okay, so all the birds come and rest in its branches. Okay, God, Jesus, give me an applicable list of things to do from this concept. That's not super helpful, is it? But you know something is true about it. What's another one? Treasure hidden in the field. That's a good one. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man discovers and then goes and sells all he has and with joy purchases that field. That one's like a little bit more relatable, right? Like, okay, I understand because that's kind of directly across, like because people have sold everything they have for the kingdom, right? We kind of get that, right? But what about the rest of the field? Like, what do you do with that? Any others? Kingdom of heaven is kind of important. It's like Jesus' whole gospel. So, (laughs) come on, throw some more at me. I know those are the good ones. Yeah, seven virgins, that's a longer story, really quick. But basically, some had oil, some didn't. And some were foolish virgins. There's any of you left in here. And went to the market, and by the time they got back, Jesus had already gone in the door and shut the door. Whoops. Any others? Entering the kingdom of heaven for a rich man is like passing through the eye of a needle. Good. Now, specifically Matthew, I believe it's 13. Any other metaphors that he uses there? Lost coin? Not exactly, but close. But close. All right. So I'll just say it. The kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast worked into a dough. You guys remember that one? You don't do much baking, so you're like not relating to that one. What's significant about these three? So he says here the mustard seed, yeast, and treasure in a field. I believe Jesus is giving us keys to enter the kingdom. How many of you feel like every single day you're living in the kingdom? Okay, so maybe. Maybe, if I'm super lucky, 10% of you. (laughs) We got a problem, don't we? Can we all agree we have a problem? First step of a 12-step program, right? We're stepping out of religiosity and into the kingdom of the heavens. That's available to you on a daily basis. I don't care how much you've done at this point. I don't care how much you've heaped on. I don't care what you've seen happen on the street. I don't care if you've cast out a demon or seen one yourself or had a prophetic dream. Jesus turns those people away at the gates of heaven. He talks about that in heaven. Why? Because they don't know him. So what about these three things is really important? The mustard seed. Let's start with that. What do you have to do to a mustard seed to get it to grow? Two things. Any gardeners in the room? Jesus kind of gives us a clue. One, it's got to die. The seed has to be dead. Two you got to bury it. (laughs) Some of us may not be entering the kingdom because, let me suggest, we're not obedient to die and be buried. 
so we can come up and be something brand new. Come on, man. Maybe you're quiet because you're thinking about it. But I'm really excited about that because I just figured it out like 24 hours ago. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean, mustard seed? What do you mean? Jesus, tell me. And I'm trying to cerebrally like put the kingdom together in my head. I'm trying to put this huge heart thing together in my head. And some of you are trying to add things to the kingdom of heaven that don't need to be added. Some of them are really, really good things. But you're not dead and you're not buried. So you can't grow and become the largest of all the garden plants where people come and take shelter. You're wondering why there's not fruit in your life. Maybe you're not dead yet. Maybe the world race wasn't quite enough. Maybe it was just an adventure for you. That's fine. Young people go on adventures. Now it's time to die because real life is about to start. Come on. If you want to grow, get buried. Okay, yeast. Yeast is a living thing, right? It's a living microorganism. You work it into a little bit, just works into the dough, right? Like a little seed of the kingdom gets worked into your life, and it starts to grow and grow and grow. But then it rests overnight, right? And it rises. That's what dough does. It rises overnight. My mom used to make fresh bread, and it was awesome. But what has to happen for that bread to be edible? It's got to go through the fire. The bread rises. Good. Sign of the kingdom. Now, in order for the people around you to receive what you have from the kingdom, you're going to have to pass through the fire. You all got to get baked. <laughs> you get that? That was a funny marijuana reference. <laughs> That's what that was. Maybe an old one, but it's still, it's still hanging around with some people. Um, it's legal in my state, so um, just kidding. All right, so what's the last one? Treasure in a field. And what happens with the treasure in the field? We talked about it a little bit before. So there's this treasure buried in a field. And what happens? The guy goes and sells everything he has and with joy, got that? With joy, purchases the whole thing. So a lot of us, and I've done this before, and this is something like God's been dropping on me like crazy lately. Like if you're carrying up, carrying your cross with sadness, if you're carrying your Christian walk with a depressed face, first of all, nobody wants that. Second, you don't realize how large the treasure actually is. If you're upset about the price you have to pay, you don't realize what Jesus has given you. If you're still going back to old sins, to broken things, to things that don't work, to the things that you sold in the market to buy the field. If you're going back to the person that bought it from you and saying, please give it back, please give it back. I'm desperate and I'm hungry. You don't understand the wealth that's buried in the field and you can have anything you want. Anything your heart ever desired. And isn't that the point after all? Isn't the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of the heart? It's not, the, it's not the cerebral kingdom of the mind, although we should be intelligent, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Of course. Of course we should be. But real wisdom for life comes from the heart. Two plus two equals four. Great. Don't date or date that person. That's where wisdom comes from. Intelligence is important. But your heart makes the real decisions in your life. And your heart is where the biggest wounds happen. And your heart is where Jesus plans to place his kingdom. How many of you want to live every day, 
every single day like you're in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, me too. Sounds awesome. Like Jesus lived, right? Don't we all look at him and think, man, that power is awesome. Man, what he's saying is awesome. Man, it's incredible. It's incredible what the early apostles did. It's incredible. But when was the last time, and be honest, you heard a sermon about the kingdom of the heavens? Ten steps to a better life. Read my book. Buy my resource. Listen to my podcast. Listen to my podcast and everything will be great. Come back next week. Come back next week. Come back next week. Come back next week. That's nice. But then what? What happens the six and three quarters days in between when you're there on Sunday morning or Sunday night? Or after you get out of your car and you've listened to the podcast? What happens? Is the kingdom of the heavens available and present to you on a daily basis? Absolutely it is. Do you believe in this room tonight that Jesus didn't just die and raise from the dead so you could just be forgiven of sins? He died and rose from the dead so he could have one thing with you, one thing that would give you access to the kingdom, and that is the king himself. Where you're missing it and where we all miss it is we try and paint our own door into the kingdom. And we're knocking with bleeding knuckles on a door, on a brick wall, scraping and scratching until our fingernails fall off, trying to enter the kingdom because we can hear on the other side the joy. We know that it's available. We've seen that it's available. And we felt in little things, maybe watching a movie, maybe reading a book, maybe in a relationship, you felt maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something more, but there's only one door in and there's only one way in. Maybe I, may I suggest to you tonight that many of us are trying to paint our own way into the kingdom and miserably failing because Jesus asks us to enter the kingdom on his terms and his terms only. Some of you are trying to enter the kingdom of the king on someone else's terms. And you're like, Jesus, my Christianity is not working. Maybe you've got something else. Ooh, that's spicy right there. That is spicy. Because you think you're doing the right thing. That's the most annoying part. And we've all been there, right? Like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm serving. I'm doing this. I'm plugged in at church. I'm doing all the right things. It seems like my life is falling into order. But for some reason, no matter what lands in my lap, no matter what I have, no matter how many good sermons I hear, no matter how much I pick up my Bible, no matter how much I pray or speak in tongues or fake speak in tongues because we don't feel like it, like whatever it is, whatever it is, you get to the end of it and you go, why am I dry? Why am I tired? Why am I exhausted? Why am I weary? Why is it not enough? Why, 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 Jesus? You said, you said, you said, but what he actually said was, if you're not connected to the vine, you can do nothing. I'm the good shepherd. Those that know me hear my voice. I'm the door to the sheepfold. I'm the way. I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say he was a way. He did not say that there is a way. And let me show you the way. He said, I am the way. There's an enormous difference. Some of you are looking at Jesus' life and say, what would Jesus do? 
Sorry to break it to you guys. Jesus' life was already lived, and it's going to be really difficult for you to live in, like, Roman-oppressed Judea 2,000 years ago and act like he acted. It's not the same. Like, y'all just thinking about getting into your church bookstore, like, fashioning a whip. It's not like, I was like, Jesus, context is important. Your context is important, and you're supposed to live your life in the kingdom of the heavens right now with the king as your access. Some of us add so many things that we can't get to the kingdom. So many things that look like the kingdom. But once you get the real thing on a regular basis, you'll know a fake when you see it. You'll feel a fake when you see it. And you'll know you're a fake right here and right now. Y'all think you're like, (laughs) it's so funny. How many times? Isn't this funny how we read the Bible and like the Pharisees are like the bad guys, right? Yeah, come on. You all know the Pharisee, the bad guy. You've all seen the Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson. They're like mad. Their teeth are rotting. They're like shouting at people. Like Pharisees are the bad guys. And we're like, man, those Pharisees, they're so dumb. (laughs) You realize that you're literally being a Pharisee in that moment. (laughs) Like Jesus is a friend of sinners, right? And I hear a lot of people say, I'm going to be a friend of sinners. You might be confused about who you are in the story. Jesus has shown up at your house. <laughs> and all your friends are drunk. And you're drunk there next to Jesus saying, I'll sell everything that I have. I'll give it all away. <laughs> and Jesus is like, all right, well, you're a son of Abraham as well. And we'll talk in the morning. <laughs> it's funny to me how we do that when we read the Bible because, oh, I know how this one ends. I know how it ends. He's going to get him. And then we do the same thing they did. One of the main things the Pharisees did with the law was what they added was called a hedge law. So they had put hedges around the central tenets of the law so they never approached messing it up. And what do you know? It kept them away from the poor, from the needy, from the broken, from the people that needed instruction the most. It's like the velvet rope. It's the thing that keeps you away. And think about it this way. They were the good guys back then. The Pharisees weren't like bad people. By all intense appearances, <laughs> if you looked at them, they look like a regular minister of the gospel. They're doing the right thing. But what Jesus lays into them about is the intent of their heart and whether or not they're allowing access for other people into the kingdom. Jesus lays his harshest words on not the people that are the most broken, not the people that are the most sinful, not the people that are most backwards, not the people that are most stuck, but he lays into the people that should know better. That, I don't know about for you, I just got chills right now, but that's terrifying to me. And that's extremely humbling to me. That's scary. When I read, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the Pharisees, almost every time I weep, I'm like, I'm doing that. Am I telling people if they don't tithe, they can't be a member of a church? When the real gospel says give everything because you know how much you have. That's the standard. The standard is everything. 
Am I telling people they need to meet a certain standard when Jesus found me literally at my lowest point in order to enter? And I'm forgetting the whole journey I took. Am I calling someone or some group or some people hopeless? Are people too far gone? Maybe the people that want to take away your guns, too far gone? Maybe the people that want to give them out, like candy, are too far gone? Maybe a man in a White House is too far gone? Ooh, that's spicy. We like that. Don't talk about politics, Parker. (laughs) Have you seen his comb over? He must be evil. (laughs) Jesus can't reach him. Jesus can bring anyone into the kingdom, no matter where you're at. And as Christians, I believe whatever we're putting out, let me just say this really quick, because your generation where influence is going to flow backward for the first time in history, because your you're access to technology. For the first time, it's not going to be handed down. It's going to be handed back. Think of the first people with a printing press or paper. That's us. We're like, it's that big right now. So what you say and what you do and what you think online is the image of the church people are getting. Because you are the church. And whether you like it or not, whatever your beliefs are, people are taking that and registering that in their mind as that person is a Christian, should I believe? <laughs> right now? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. And I think a lot of the failures of society are our fault. Well, there's a huge vacuum of leadership. Why is the government corrupt? Because there's a huge vacuum of leadership that kingdom people probably should have been stepping into the last 40 years. Instead of having Christian plays and Christian skits and Christian videos, why don't we have Christians that are incredible actors or Christians that are incredible authors? Too many Christian authors, not enough authors that are Christians. Just putting it out there. So I want to say to you today that the kingdom is all pervasive. It's everywhere. It's everywhere around you right now, in your space, in your face, and the access is the king. So what I want you to do, if there's one thing you take from this message, and I talked to John Franks, I'm going to just call it a house church, because it was a church, and it is a church. That's how, it was awesome. I had a good time. One thing you take from tonight, maybe... You're not finding your way into the kingdom because you haven't yet accessed the king on a daily basis. You want to enliven the word? Add it to relationship. You want to enliven your walk with Jesus? Add it to a relationship with him. Jeez, man, that's so simple, Parker. That sounds silly. Of course, it's intimacy. I explained it this way. You should have the fruit of discipleship and salvation in your life. That's a sign of the kingdom. That's a sign of life. should be discipling people. You should. People should be getting saved around you. That's true. What if they're not? Stop looking to what you're doing and start looking to intimacy. See that little baby right there or that one-year-old now, that crazy kid? (laughs) That's David Leonidas. Yeah, I snuck in that middle name. He's awesome. But I can promise you, and this is going to stick with you for the rest of your lives, so pay attention. I promise you I was not thinking 
I'm making a David right now when I was making a David. I was thinking about something else entirely. I promise you. I'm not like, let's make a baby. That's not what I'm thinking when I even say that. I'm not really wanting to do that. That's a trick. Sex is a trick to raising children. <laughs> it really is. It's like, who, how else could you get tricked into like a lifetime of responsibility? Sex is, sex is the only way. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I have to finish. I really do have to wrap this up. But you guys will remember that. If you don't have fruit in your life of salvation and discipleship, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus that's not working. Or maybe you've built a false Jesus out of the things that you have around you or out of yourself or parts of yourself or parts of your past that has no power and not the Jesus of the Scripture. Really simple. Read the Scripture. Take Jesus at his word. Worship him. Get intimate with him. And the fruit will follow. You'll have to do what he says because you're so freaking crazy about it. Of course you sell everything you have and buy the field. Of course you'll die and get buried. Of course you will. Because the, <laughs> the outcome is life and life to the full. The thing you've been looking for in the movies, the thing you've been looking for in that broken relationship, the thing you've been looking for in money, the thing you've been looking for is him. So stop trying to smack your own way into the kingdom and follow Jesus in. Amen? All right, cool. I'm going to get over to John Frank. Rock and roll. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.